You're listening to the Knowing Motherhood Podcast. I'm your host, Linnell Peters, and it's an honor to walk alongside you in motherhood, whether the journey is just beginning or you're right in the thick of it. I believe that your worth as a mother is not based on your performance and that your greatest strength is the love that you have for your children, whether they're in your arms or only in your heart. My prayer is that this little corner of the podcast world will leave you feeling more equipped, more hopeful, and less alone than when you arrived. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast today. I feel kind of like if if I keep saying and starting every episode with, well, this is a longer break than I was expecting. You're going to get annoyed with me, but it does feel that way. Um, I was sure hoping for an every uh, couple of weeks um, episode um, pattern, but it just hasn't worked out that way. And, you know, I keep thinking about how the world kind of tells us that we need to do things a certain way, but that's not really how God works. And, Even though there's a lot of validity to the importance of consistency and things like that, for me with this podcast during this season of life, I just feel like, I feel like God is calling me to hold loosely to things um, and to um, let him direct my steps in a way that feels very unconventional. And, um, and I guess that's okay. That's okay. And so, yes, it's been a little bit longer in between uh, the last episode and this one. Uh, and there's lots of reasons for that, but I'm just glad to be here. It's been a season of, once again, learning to hold loosely to our hopes and plans individually and as a family. But it, and it's been one of those seasons where one thing literally happens after the next and coming up for a little air doesn't feel entirely possible most of the time. I'm sure many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. I know from past experience though that these are the seasons where God does some of his finest work. I mean that fine-tuning of our hearts and teaching us to turn to him first for our rest and our refreshment. I think after four decades of life that maybe just maybe I'm learning what it truly means to find my rest in the presence of God trusting that he allows all seasons all struggles for a good purpose and that he'll always be near always be there and present ready to comfort and ready to provide I wanted to share this because it relates to today's conversation. Uh, um, Author and speaker Lisa Apollo joins me today to share her story of tremendous loss and learning to do life on her own as a mother of seven children after losing her husband suddenly just over 10 years ago. At the time, their children were four years to 19 years old, and Lisa had to not only walk through her own grief, but she experienced the delicate work of walking all of her children through their own grieving journeys as well. I can't imagine what that would have been like. Um, The encouragement and the honesty in this conversation will bring hope to your heart and remind you that life can be good again. Let's listen in. All right, Lisa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here with you today. It's a treat to get to talk with you um, 
not only because you have a wonderful story to share with us today, but I love your accent. I just have to tell you that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I am a born and bred Floridian, so I don't feel like I have a real accent, you know, but I guess whenever we go outside of our own little vicinity, we can pick up that because I, cause I heard of just a tinge from you too. I was like, oh, I think I hear West Coast. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> I have heard so many different things about the way, because you know, you you know, you only know the way that you sound, right? You just, right. You're, it's just you, right? But I've heard, um, I've had people tell me. Actually, this is an interesting story. I lived, didn't live. I was in Nashville years and years ago, back in my early twenties, for a little music uh, endeavor, and um, I loved it so much. And I, I started saying y'all like naturally. Mm-hmm like naturally just started coming out of my mouth within a week. It was hilarious. And I loved it so much. But I remember people there telling me that I didn't sound Canadian. Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> I know. You I adapted. Guess because, I don't know. I don't know if it was just because, yeah, like we're not, we're not East, you know. Yeah. Eastern well, Canadians. And so we don't have that Newfie accent. But. Okay. Yeah. I, I feel like y'all just fits so many that once you're in a place that uses it, you're like, Oh, where have you been all my life? Cause this is just easy to throw in to my sentences. And, you know, even to say y'alls and, um, you know, you can keep hyphenating y'all into other things. <laughs> y'all are going to come so over. <laughs> yes. Yes. It was, I remember the day we had to take a, a vehicle into the shop and it was like the guy, guy said to us y'all take care now and I was like I, I said to the girls I'm like I, I just love that and I had a little bit of accent when I said it I was like it's really easy to pick up but I, I just love it so much Aww. well let's um let's hear a little bit about you you've got quite a story to share with us today um and some exciting things going on with a, a new book that just recently released. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself and your family and some of the things that you currently feel called to do? Sure. So I'm a single mom of seven and um, they're not all in the house anymore. So I do have to put that little caveat because five are launched. They're grown and flown. And yeah. you know the myth is that once they're grown and flown that that life is not as busy anymore, but your adult kids will keep you very busy in a different, in a completely different way. Um, but I still have my youngest two in the home and actively homeschooling them, slash parenting them, slash taxi driving them, you know, all wow. the things. And um, I'm a writer, I'm a speaker, and really I have a passion to minister to women who are hurting and, and especially to widows. So just because of the nature of my story and what God has brought me to, you know, I do a lot of that locally and online. Yeah, and what a ministry that is. I think that any kind of loss that we as women can walk through is, um, it can be so isolating and so lonely. And, um, and so whenever someone's willing to share their story, it has a ripple effect, I really believe, because not only does it encourage other women to do the same thing, but it just gives them a, a soft place to land, someone that says, you know, you're not alone in this. Um, what are some of the, the positive things that you've seen come from that willingness to share? Yeah, I will say this is not something like, you know, at the beginning, I was like, I'm going to use this one day. There was mm. no thought of that. There was pure survival and 
desperate, even though I believed in the Lord and I, you know, I would say I had a fairly strong faith. Um, we can just go through circumstances that just absolutely rock everything that, you know, every earthly thing that we have counted on. And so it did not come right away, but it grew as God walked me through and as God healed me. And even in the beginning, you know, even I think at three years, I started to write and I really just thought I was going to uh, freelance and write to homeschoolers. I was a longtime homeschooling mom and so very active in that community and had spoken about that. And those tours just kind of shut down. And, um, but every time I wrote about, you know, being in the play, being in a broken place or healing from grief or deep loss, some kind of deep shattering loss, those would resonate. That's where I would see the messages coming and those were the invitations I was getting to speak to. So, you know, I could clearly see the God's direction. I did not want to be the grief girl. I was like, I don't, because it's hard. Once you've walked through something so raw, I don't know if we're getting ahead of the story, but mm -hmm. maybe people mm -hmm. can identify this wherever they are in their grief journey or their, or their brokenness journey, that when you have walked it and you've come through the most raw part, it's hard to go back and sit there again with somebody else. Whoa, that really resonates with me so much because I have a, a, a different, very um, painful story, and I've um, I've come to a place of healing um, in it where it has. I've been really wrestling with that, not wanting to go back there, mm -hmm. but knowing and still feeling that I'm called to share. So. I love it that you are a walking testimony of, of having a willingness to share, despite having to bring up that pain again and again. Let's just jump into this story of the loss of your husband, um, Dan. Your life was uh, literally turned upside down within 24 hours, um, and that was back in 2011, is that correct? Right, summer 2011, yeah. Father's Day weekend, actually. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, yes. I mean, it was, it was, you know, life was not perfect by any stretch. I would never say everything beforehand was perfect because that would be, that would be painting the wrong picture. We had, you know, marital issues that we had walked through. We had financial struggles we'd walked through. We had parenting, um, things that we had walked through. But life was, I think if you had asked me back then, um, you know, about my life, I would have said, this is everything I could have wanted. And I, I had um, come home. I had been an attorney earlier in my motherhood, and I was at home at this point. So full-time in the home, just kind of the hub of the wheel, you know, just kind of get everybody where they needed to go and mothering. And um, as messy and as full and as busy as that was, it was really fulfilling to me. And then one Friday morning, you know, just in the middle, dark, early morning hours, I woke up to my husband's funny breathing. And I thought he was just having a nightmare. I wasn't even really awake enough to take it all in, but just kind of reached my arm out and nudged him with my eyes still closed and said, it's just a nightmare, hun. And just thought he would turn over and that we would go back to sleep and wake up to his alarm in a couple hours. Mm -hmm. But um, he didn't turn over. And as I woke more to his breathing that continued, I realized this was something altogether different. I flipped on the overhead light and I could see immediately that, you know, something was very wrong. And um, we, you know, we called 911 immediately. Um, the paramedics are right outside of our neighborhood. I didn't, the, the operator on 911 walked me through. 
I said, you're gonna have to walk me through. It's been so long since I've done this. And, you know, kicking myself the whole time, like, why didn't I keep this up? Why didn't I have him go to the doctor? Why wasn't I more careful with him? And, you know, so focused on the kids and all these mm. thoughts are just spinning through your mind. You know, at the same time as I was doing CPR, you know, counting out and then putting my mouth over his and blowing into it, I'm thinking, I am not giving CPR to my husband that I just kissed goodnight. Mm. But the paramedics were there within two, not even two full rounds of CPR. And I thought, okay, good. He, he's in good hands. Mm. And he's going to be so mad when he wakes up and finds out that he's not going to be able to go into work today. So thinking that they would just take him to the hospital and he would have some kind of tests and some, some recovery and, um, but they took him by stretcher to the ER, and when I got in there, they took me into that little room you never want to go into, and there a doctor said that they had worked on him for over an hour, and they had never been able to revive him. And so that was it. Like you said, within the space of 24 hours, you know, one night's sleep, just all of life imploded for myself, but even harder, I think, for my seven children. I'm going to pivot a tiny bit here um, and ask you to go back a little bit and just share with me your guys' story when you met and what what that little sweet first uh, couple of years were like for you guys. So I'd love to. I met Dan in seventh grade, and of course, he was just another boy at church, but by high school, we were good friends. We were in a group of close guy, girl friends and, you know, hung out at school when he was a surfer. So we'd go to the beach once a week. He was in my youth group. So we saw each other Wednesday nights and Sunday nights and Sunday, you know, we just, we just saw each other a lot. And by my junior year, he asked me out and I knew, um, that that first night was like the first night of the rest of my life because we had been such good friends. I knew him very well and I knew we would work. And so we ended up going to college together. And then by our junior year of college, we got married. And, um, you know, fast, we went through graduate school and started our jobs together, had kids. Now, he wanted two kids. I had to make a deal with him to get to three. And then (laughs) God overruled us through a series of events, and we ended up with seven children. But even that was just such a blessing. We just, I think, would so often pinch ourselves that... Um, you know, our kids were healthy. Mm-hmm. He was finally into a job that he loved. He had been in a very frustrating work experience, but we had moved and he was in a job that he loved. It was really neat to see him thriving in that. And so I think, we, you know, having gone through some of those early marriage years, those, those difficulties that we had gone through, it was really sweet to be at a place of where we could say, wow, you know, this is, we're at a good place. Yeah. So you were really life partners. You had this like incredible, incredible relationship. What does it we feel were. like? What does it feel like to walk into those first early days and weeks, um, having lost him so suddenly? Was there a lot of shock during that time? You know, what was, what were some of those early, early emotions like? It. You know, I think I never knew how God knits two and one until he was pronounced dead. Mm. 
And in that moment, it felt like, I don't know if your mom ever did this, but my mom would take old towels and she would put a little snip on one side and then she would just kind of rip and Mm -hmm. it would make this big ripping sound. But the, you know, this, this material, this cotton material that had been woven and stitched together into one piece would just be ripped into two. And there were fragments dangling and threads dangling. And that is what my life felt like. I felt like I had been ripped clear in two. And, um, you know, in that place was not just the raw pain, the, just the sadness and the missing him and the longing. And yes, the shock thinking every day that he would walk in the back door or that he would call on the phone. It takes us a long, long time for us to really catch up with reality of any kind of loss. And that can be, Mm -hmm. you know, that can be a husband or a spouse that walks out suddenly It can be a diagnosis, it can be a miscarriage or a child loss. There's a lot of ways we can grapple with shattering loss and and deep disappointment. Um, You know, I think as the weeks and the months went on, it, I just, um, you know, the emotions of loss are grueling. Really, I never knew that they were physically painful. You know, I'd be in the grocery store and the checkout lady would say, did you find everything you came for? And I'd say, yes. And we'd have this small talk because, you know, I didn't want to tell her what was actually going on. But inside I was like, if you could only know, you know, that I fell apart on aisle 11 because I passed by the one thing that I always used to love to get him for a little treat or, you know, that it feels like a knife wound in me right now, even as we're talking. So yeah, those early emotions, and even not just early, they go on for a long time. I think um, our expectations of grief in our culture are that if we get through all the firsts, that we'll be okay. That we're going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not always true. I think we need to Mm -hmm. say that, um, you know, that grief will change. It won't always feel as grueling as it does at the beginning, but it's a lifelong loss. And, um, sometimes the second year can be even harder. Right. Yeah. Grief, grieving in itself is, a <clears throat> it's a very complicated process. Um, and you had not only your own grief to deal with, but you had seven precious children and correct me if I'm wrong. They were ages four to 19 at the time. Right. Yes. So my youngest was four. She had crawled into bed and between Dan and I, actually, that because she would do that almost every morning. At some point in the morning, she would, or during the night, she would crawl in bed. And my six-year-old, I just had a conversation with him. Um, actually, he was, said, I just downloaded your book, Mom, <laughs> and I was listening yeah. to it. Now, he's 16 now. Yeah. And I, he said, I couldn't listen to the first chapter. And I said, I know, babe, I know, it's hard. You don't have to you don't have to revisit that. But we had a good conversation about what he remembers as a six-year-old. And he said it was good to hear it from your point of view and what you, you know, what was going on. I had a 12-year-old boy, 13, 15, 16, I lose track, 12, 14, 16, 17, and 19. Wow. So. And those are, that's a lot of different, um, <clears throat> what's the word, um, types of grieving processes that have to happen, right? Every age is going, every gender, every child individually is going to have a different way that they need to grieve. And and so 
could you walk us through, even though I know like seven individual children is, is a lot to cover, but can you walk us through a little bit of what that looked like to help your children grieve during that time amidst your own emotions and your own grief? Yes. Grief is overwhelming. And then to walk your children through it is, is just more. In one sense, um, it, was, it was helpful. And this is how it was helpful for me. Because I think without my children there, I would have just every morning woken up in such despair that I would have been tempted to just pull the covers over. Right. And I couldn't do that. I would have to coach myself every morning. Lisa, your kids have lost one parent. They cannot lose another. And so it was very motivating for me to not fake it at all, but to try to help my children through this and try to walk through this as healthy as I could because I didn't want to just survive it. I knew there are a lot of people who survived really hard things. I wanted to thrive again. I wanted our family to thrive again. I wondered if we could. I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know anybody who had walked through anything like this. Um, now I do. I've met lots of women who've walked through um, this and, and other very hard things. So for me, I think the, one of the first things we did, you know, after Dan's memorial service, when everybody had gone back to their home and all family had gone away, and we were, you know, in that first week sitting around the living room together, just us, I just said, um, we're going to need a lot of grace with each other this year. Mm -hmm. And see, there was my naivety because I thought it would be one year. Um, but I did know enough to know that we would all grieve differently, just like you said. And, you know, I knew that it would, that in that difference that we would not understand that, that I would make mistakes, that they would have a good day while somebody else was having a hard day. I didn't know how much of their act, how much of my how much of their behavior would be motivated by grief versus just normal childhood behavior. And so um, I just knew we would need a lot of grace. And I think that one kind of rule, just keeping that in mind for myself, just really governed how I parented and hopefully how we operated as a family. You know, for my for a four-year-old, they're very literal. And for every every day for over a year, she would cry in the middle of like in the car going somewhere. She'd say, I miss daddy. I miss daddy. Aww. And we would have the exact same conversation every day for over a year. And I had to say to myself, Lisa, don't, don't get frustrated with her. Like, don't lose your patience with her. Like you go back. And it's just a four-year-old trying to grapple with the permanency yes, of death. Yes. And then for my six-year-old, he would play like, every other neighborhood little kid all during the day and you would never know anything was happening but at bed every night he would come into my bed sleep on his dad's side of the bed and um there on the pillow the tears would spill and the heart would tender and we would have conversations you know mm. um and for my teen boys i think you know they very quickly wanted to, everything to to seem normal now they didn't feel normal um and studies show that that kids um, if, if, if a child has gone through any kind of loss, whether it's divorce or sibling death or a friend death or a grandparent, they're carrying that with them, even if they're not speaking about it. Right. Yeah. So I think as parents, we have to be really 
good about keeping that conversation open for them and not making them talk, but providing opportunities. And for me, that looked like, you know, at the dinner table saying, oh man, your dad would have loved this dinner or telling stories about their dad or, um, just keeping the conversation open. We read books together. Uh, so, and then my daughter, my 17 year old probably grieved most like me. She was very open with her emotions and, you know, she would want to, just as I was exhausted and heading to bed, she would say, can you talk <laughs> at 11 o'clock at night? Oh, and, boy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. so, um, but in all of that, you know, it, it's not when our children are going through any kind of difficulty, on the one hand, our heart breaks because we can't fix it. Mm-hmm. And we want to as moms, you know, we, de- we desperately want to fix it for them. Um, but in that place, we can really give them gifts that they would not have otherwise. And that emotional intelligence, that emotional ability to, that compassion to, com- to be able to connect with others who are hurting, the resilience to walk through this and then to find that, that, you know, life can be good again, that they can thrive again. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't happen overnight. There are lots of pits and falls on the way, but those are lifelong gifts that our kids might not have otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. And I, it sounds to me like you had a, a God-given insight. And I know that you're not, you're not trying to convey that you had it all together right off the bat. I know you've already said that, but it sounds like you had this God-given insight to um, recognize that your children needed time, that they needed understanding, they needed a mom who was willing to listen. Um, But even in saying that, I feel like as I'm listening to you talk, I'm imagining, because I have a four-year-old, my youngest is four, Mm -hmm. and I, I mean, I'm imagining that because he crawls into bed and sleeps with us almost every night still. And so I imagine what that would be like if all of a sudden my husband's side was empty. Um, You know, in those moments where you felt depleted, because I'm sure there were so many of them, where you felt depleted, like, I don't know if I I can keep doing this. Who was your support aside from you know, obviously God was the, the ultimate, um, I'm sure in that time for you to run to, but who are those tangible people in your life that you are able to just be real and raw with that helps support you and keep you going? Yeah, I am shaking my head, nodding my head because I felt depleted every day. Every day I got up and thought to myself, I cannot do this. This is too hard. I had so many fears for my children. Uh, we were a one-income family, and so I didn't know what that was going to look like. Um, and we weren't, you know, Dan had made some provision. There was some provision, but still, it was it was different. And um, I had fears for my children's health. You know, their dad had collapsed at 47 years old. And so I, you know... Definitely God was the first place I turned and cried out to him and daily would go into the word and he would give me hope through through his word. But the, our community, I have to say, our community was incredible, both my family and um, the church. And I say the church, like not just the church we attended, but the, the body of Christ. Um, and because there were friends and people who didn't even know us who were praying for us. 
And so what does that look like for, for us? And I, I learned because I was really, as they were ministering to us, I was kind of tucking away all these lessons thinking, I don't know if I would have known to do this, but thinking one day I will be able to reach out to others and, and just be able you know, it was learning from them as they reached out to us. So it, it took a lot, you know, it's too big for any one person to step into any kind of situation like that and meet all the need. And so sometimes that can paralyze us from stepping in and helping somebody. But I think what I saw was that when everybody did the one thing that God nudged them to do, it, it the totality of it was incredible. And all of it felt like personal love notes from God himself to us. And it came in so many ways. I mean, there were people who text, uh, texted me. There were people who texted my children. There were um, Sunday school teachers who mentored my kids for years and would show up at their at their sports games and cheer them on in the stands. There were people who, there was, you know, one group, one Sunday night, this group, Sunday school group of girls came with their leaders from um, a sister church, not even the church we were going to, and said, "We're um, just leave your garage, you know, what's your garage code, and came in and cleaned our house top to bottom and left like balloons all over the house. It was so sweet because when we walked back in from that Sunday night, my kids went all over the house and there were like little gift cards attached to the balloons. Oh, what a blessing. It was just so sweet. People brought, of course, dinners to us, took me out to coffee, invited us to their home. Even if we weren't up to going to their home or couldn't couldn't go just getting the invitation and knowing that somebody was thinking of us you know it was huge and this is big i think for anybody who is walking through this right now who is at that place of saying i i'm at the end like i am depleted and i i don't have the hope to keep going on um borrow hope from somebody in your community. Mm. And one day I remember, um, it, it was during the morning and I reached out to a friend of mine and said, um, and she wasn't even like a super good friend, super close friend before, but she had, she and I had kind of connected through this, you know, they're those people who really lean in, yeah. um, in difficulty. And I reached out to her and I said, I am having such a hard morning. Would you mind praying for me? Now it's gonna make me cry. And she said, um, so I texted that to her, and a few minutes later, I got this picture, ding, you know, on my phone, and a text, and she was at a group with other moms and other children of all ages, and she just texted me a picture, because they had stopped what they were doing, and they were all kneeled, you know, in this living room on couches oh. and on the floor, praying. What a picture of, you know, the body of Christ. And just that little bit, that day, like I borrowed hope. Their prayers for me enabled me that day. And um, that is the beauty of the body of Christ. So I would tell anybody, if you're in that spot, reach out and um, let somebody in and they will pray for you. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. I think we all need to be reminded that of how often I, I recently had this this uh, co- similar conversation um, with a, a recent guest, and, and she and I were discussing her journey through cancer, and she was talking about that too, that she had, you know, somebody who had just reached out to her and said, you know what, I, I can't really cook bread, and I can't cook a meal, but I can cut hair. And she's, she said, can I cut your hair to help you prepare for your chemo journey? 
And I just, that touched me so much, you know, just such a similar story of just somebody being willing to use the gifts that God has given them to yeah. serve and to bless. And that's a beautiful image to, to imagine a woman saying, hey, let's get down on our knees and let's pray right now. Um, yeah, it's a beautiful thing to be a part of the family of God as, as imperfect as we all, all are, to just see the way that the, that the God of the universe prompts us and, and what obedience looks like and the effects that that has on an individual. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. There's an author, her name is Anne Ortland. Are you familiar with her? I am. I know the name, but I have not read her works. Yeah, and just recently I've become a little bit familiar with her. She, familiar with she and her husband were in ministry together. They both passed now. Um, and I can't, I can't remember exactly. I have one of her books on my shelf. I haven't read it yet. Um, but I recently spoke at a memorial for my nana, um, who passed away, and she was a real spiritual encourager in my life, one of the most dearest people to me. And I shared a, a quote by her, and um, but I have another quote by her as well that I wanted to read uh, really briefly because it's something that has really prompted me to think more deeply about the topic of pain. Um, and this is her her quote: "Pain is the is God's beautiful gift <laughs> to make us lean harder on Him." When we, when he knows we need it, um, I'm going to read it yeah. again. Pain is God's beautiful gift to make us lean harder on Him when He knows we need it. Yeah. And I, I have, re- I've read that over and over and over again. And when I went through a really hard season about four years ago, three years ago, I, um, I had that on my mirror in my bathroom um, because God had used that experience after many other very painful experiences to to speak more deeply to my heart than in previous times where I don't think I would have been able to grasp that like I don't think that my perception of him was rich enough maybe mature enough to grasp that God allows pain to bring us nearer to himself and but that has been a really impactful phrase that now resonates so deeply with me but i think it takes walking through something extremely painful and allowing god to walk us through it allowing him to be present at every moment that um makes all the difference can you share a little bit about some of the significant things about god um, that you've learned during your time of grief Yes, I think I, I still resonate with that because, you know, none of us would choose pain. We would choose the sunny days, right? Mm-hmm. We would choose the easy days. But God uses that. And when so much is stripped away in these circumstances of pain, you know, either it's a loss or, um, you know, and it could be any kind of loss, you know, even the loss of an adult living relationship or mm-hmm. a business or a dream that's never come about. Um when, when things are stripped away, we, two things happen. For me, what happened was I saw God faithful and I, I, I always knew he was faithful and I had been through hard things before. So I had certainly seen him faithful, even in miraculous ways in my life before, but this was a whole new level of faithfulness. And I could have read the Bible all day and seen his faithfulness for those in scripture. And I could have taught my kids all day about God's faithfulness. But when, when, you know, life implodes underneath us and we are like 
being carried by God himself. And we see the see him true and faithful to his promises. It is. And so personally, that's a thing. It's not pie in the sky anymore. It's, it's, um, leaps off the pages of scripture and is so practical for us. And so personal, the details of how he's so faithful to us. Um, so that just is, is affirming in ways and deepening, you know, God, the, uh, Psalm thirty four eighteen says that God is near to the brokenhearted and saves mm-hmm. those crushed in spirit. And it's almost an understatement to say he's near to us because his presence is um, so intimate. And there's an intimacy there that I think just because of the pain, just like you said, just driving us to him and us being in such a needy state and so desperate for him mm-hmm. that we are able to see him and experience his presence in ways that we never would have otherwise. And then the other thing I think that happens, there's a lot that happens. There's a lot of lessons that come clear and fast yes, yes. in pain. But I think the other thing for me was a real um, chiseling of my own heart a real revealing of things that I had counted on. And I didn't intend to. I think I I would have called myself, you know, I was a Christian and I didn't mean to have idols in my life, but we can all set up these little idols and expectations. You know, one of my expectations was that Dan and I had had kids. um, We had kept stressing God with with how many kids that he gave us, and he gave us seven. And that was a huge leap for me. I did not start out wanting that. And we had not gone to any, you know, any kind of seminar or anything like read a book. This was God just kind of planting this into our own heart. And so here we stepped off and we were like, we'll trust you, Lord, with these seven children. And, you know, the last two we had later in life. And I had this kind of unspoken expectation. I'm not sure I even realized it until Dan died that surely if God gave us these children, he would help us live to see them raised. Right, right. Like, that's our deal, right? We followed you in obedience, and why would you not do that? And so when loss comes, when pain comes, it is a real illuminator to all the places we've misplaced hope, to all the idols we've kind of set up for ourselves, to all the expectations and deals we've made with God that that are not, you know, at all part of the gospel. And so to chisel all that out of our, our life, to chisel away the things of this world, to chisel away my longings and for things of this world, and to just have that eternal perspective is, is gift. Yeah, it really is. But it takes some major humbling of our spirits to, to see that. And that it's kind of, it's a hard thing for us to understand as humans that it has to be pain and suffering that that reveals us reveals that to us and that or that reminds us of that you know when you think about in exodus i mean i love exodus because i love i I just love the story of god bringing his people through the wilderness because there's just again and again a million different illustrations right of our walk with the lord today and every day um that you know, we see why the Lord allowed us to ha- to have this in the Bible and, and to be such a big part of the story um, that He shares with us in His Word. But like the Israelites, again and again, were ha- desperate for God. 
they were desperate and he often made them he often brought them into a place of desperation because he knew that was the only way he could bring them to the place that he had for them right and I think it says in Exodus or maybe in Deuteronomy when Moses' last words, it says, and I led you into the desert where you were thirsty to test you and to see what was in your heart. Right, right. And in today's culture, we just see this, this, and it's not that this anything is new under the sun, but we see more and more of this like lifestyle choice, this ideology that I can be my own God and that I can make life perfectly beautiful as I want it to be, which is such a false ideology about life. It's just not true. Um, we can, you know, it's a very shallow perspective. But I, I wonder sometimes if when people walk through pain and suffering, if that's when things, that's why things fall apart and crumble so quickly for them emotionally and mentally because their reliance has not been on the on the only true source of comfort and peace do you agree that 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 there is just there is a crumbling that that is i think normal right when we lose someone dear or when we walk through this kind of suffering but like you're saying, it also can reveal like there's sometimes a crumbling because we've had our hope set in the wrong places. Yeah. And I think we're okay bringing those hard questions to God. Mm -hmm. You know, when we feel like, wasn't this our deal, God? Or I thought you would do this. Or I thought if I stepped out in obedience, you would, you know, you would honor that. I mean, sometimes those questions, um, we just need to bring them straight to the to the feet of God, and He may not answer them. I mean, he, He's not obligated to answer them, no. but mm-hmm. we can bring them there and then say, "But I trust you." Yes. And I think you know when we do that, allowing God to realign our heart is just um, is is huge, and it's might not be one and done. You know, this is a process. Processing the emotions of loss, processing the hard questions of loss, right. is never just one and done. It is. But, but through that, you know, God can really reshape our heart like his son Christ. And that, that's really his goal for us, isn't it? Yes, yes. And you were talking about aligning our hearts. And I was going to, and I know this is what you were saying. He aligns, he is, um, he's desiring to align our hearts to his. Um, yeah. Because ultimately that is where we are safe and in, in the shadow of his wing. That is where we are able to have the most peace and to walk out the purpose that he has for us in this life. And that's a beautiful thing. And, and we can trust him. And I, I just love how you have, your story just shines brightly. Your dependency on God and what he has done in your life. And I would love to hear some of the ways that God has brought hope to you and brought joy back into your life since the loss of Dan. So it would have been, it's been more than a decade now. It has. It's been almost 11 years. Yeah. Almost 11 years. Can you share some of the things that God has, has done and how has he brought joy back in the midst of so much, so much loss? Yeah. I think I was surprised because, you know, at first I thought I will, I will never smile again. And somebody had said to me who had gone through something else, it was very difficult, different circumstances, but very difficult and painful loss. And she said, "Um, I 
having gone through that, I never felt really, really that really, really bubbly joy again, but I never have felt really, really bad again. And when she said that to me, I kind of resisted it immediately. And I thought, I do not want to coast through the rest of my life on indifference. I don't want to so guard my heart now against pain that I'm not willing to, that I don't also feel that beautiful joy that God gives us. And so, but I wondered, you know, will I ever feel that joy again? And I was surprised how quickly little pockets of joy came right in the midst of the grief. I think that was another way I was naive about grief. I thought I would get through all of my grief and then I would feel joy again. But, um, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the, so my husband died uh, Father's Day weekend and my daughter turned 18 July 1st, just a few weeks later. And she wanted to have an 18th birthday party. And I thought, there is no way I can plan a birthday party, right? Like a big celebration right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I said that to myself. And so as circumstances would have it, friends came together and went to this like Christian kind of dance studio where they do ballroom dancing and stuff. And you know, brought balloons and cakes and goodies and everybody dressed in colors to celebrate her and brought gifts. And when we were getting to the car at the end of the night, she said, um, I this is the best birthday I've ever had. And I thought to myself, only God could do that. Only God could be bring this kind of joy right in the midst of our hurt. Um, so that was hope, but you know, another huge pivot for me was well into my grief. This was not the first year. I would say this was somewhere in the second year where I was just kind of saying to God one day in my own quiet time, my own heart, I don't like my life. This is not the life I ordered. And not in so many words, I didn't hear God say this, but it occurred to me that this unexpected for me was not plan B for God, that he doesn't do plan B, that um, I was not resigned to live out the leftovers of the life I wanted, that I didn't get second best because while this was unexpected for me, this was God's intentional chapter two. And as such, it had as much joy and as much abundance as all the years before. And I didn't immediately feel all that, but that truth was really pivotal for me because I could lean into it. And I, until my emotions caught up with it and until my, you know, until my life caught up to it. And, um, you know, I can say I am there now. Again, life is not perfect. That never occurs, right? There are still struggles with parenting and all manner of things. But, and we've walked through as a family some other very difficult things. I have a son that's going to have surgery next week for something that is, could be cancerous. We're waiting on that to see. So this is not a path. This is not mean like, oh, this is all going to be good now. Um, But I think to pivot and see that, that um, God does not give us second best and that our unexpected is God's purposeful, excuse me, Mm -hmm. chapter two, Mm -hmm. just helps us lean into that with hope. Yeah. That perspective is what changes everything, isn't it? How, how, I know that you've shared a little bit about, um, you know, how we, at the beginning, we were talking about, you know, 
obviously your prompting to share your story, but I'd love to hear just a little bit more about how God, how you've seen God work through your willingness to speak and write. When did that kind of, when did you first feel prompted to start speaking and to start being open about the journey and, and how, and yeah, how have you seen God working through that? I remember early in my grief wanting to know somebody else who had walked this and not knowing anybody else who'd walked something like this. And, um, and so as God healed me, I, and what, and the other thing that happened was not only did he break my heart and reshape it with like deep compassion, because I thought I had been compassionate before, but when you've walked through something and seen God, um, heal you, and it's not healing that like, this is all over with, but a healing that I'm no longer that active, raw grief anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, and then I wake up, you know, excited for my day and with new plans and new dreams, when that comes back and God plants a deep compassion, you know, the Bible says that God, um, comforts us with, with a compassion so that we can reach out to others and comfort them with the same comfort he's given us. And I think that is just what's happened that as God has comforted me, it is such an honor to reach out to other women and just kind of extend a hand and say, this is the way you can do this. It is hard work and it is, it hurts, but you have hope. And that might be like sitting with her over coffee or talking on the phone, um, reaching out online or through my writing or speak, speaking. But that is just such an honor to be able to do that. So that that's how I've seen God work through me. And like I said, I didn't want to be the grief girl, but to really embrace that and to say, no matter how you come to grief, because there's a lot of ways we can yes, come to grief. Very true. Mm-hmm. Um, that there is that God has a way for you to process that loss and to find intentional proactive steps in that loss to begin taking like, you know, very small steps and tender steps forward. It's an honor. Yeah. For the mother or the woman who is walking through loss right now, or, you know, just really wrestling with a a recent loss, what would you tell yourself many years ago this woman who had just lost her husband, if you could go back, is there anything that you would share um, as an encouragement for her, for the woman who's listening now? Mm-hmm. Yes, I would say to her to give herself a lot of grace to walk through the place of pain. We really want to rush through that. I think our so much of our humanness wants to rush through that to start feeling good again. Mm-hmm. And um, so in some ways, our culture can rush us through pain. Mm-hmm. Um, they kind of put a timetable on it, you know, of how we should act and what we should be doing. And even in our own life, I think it's easy to question, like, I should be feeling better at this point, or I should be doing better, or look at her over there. She's doing these things, and I'm not there yet, you know, be, kind of comparing where we are. And I would say just be, just give yourself a lot of grace because it takes enormous physical and mental and emotional and spiritual bandwidth to process these kinds of losses. Mm-hmm. Because the truth is we were not made for death and we were not made for disease 
or, you know, divorce, none of this. And so they do shock us. Mm -hmm. Um, And so in that place to just do the hard work of grief, you know, I, I always say that if we don't do the work of grief on our terms now, it will come back on its terms later. And so as painful as it is, and as much as we want to, you know, skip to the good part, that it, it is worthwhile to process that grief. And there's ways to do that. I talk about that in the book and there's, you know, we talk about lament, um, but to do that work because God will be faithful to you. There are pockets of joy that you will have on the way and, but there is no way through except for walking through that pain. Yes. Yes. You know, I used to blog. I haven't for a long time. Um, but the most shared and, and read of all of my posts was the one that I wrote after we lost our son River when I was 18 uh, weeks mm. along with that pregnancy. And I wrote a post four weeks um, after uh, called Finding the Time to Grieve and talking yeah. about, you know, having three small children and, and doing that in a way that felt I guess, right at the time. That's how my brain was working. You know, like, how do I do this right? How do I do this well? And and it is. It's the one that I've been asked, or that others have shared with me, that they've shared with a friend, and that I've been able to send to people to encourage them the most. And it was really special when I was, I had popped onto your website uh, to look through, and I found your blog post, How to Help Children Through Grief. And I, I read through it and, and, so, and it just resonated in it with me so much. And I just found it to be so helpful. And I just wanted to let you know that I'm just going to put that in our show notes so that others can access that. Um, you do a lot currently on your website and you have a lot of resources there. Is there anything that you'd like to share um, with our listeners about um, those resources and the different things that you have available? And then can you also talk about your new book that you have coming out? Or no, sure. just was released. Yes. Yeah. Sure. So uh, one of the free resources that you might be interested in is a free uh, guide called Seven Days of Hope for Your Shattered Heart. And um, it just walks you through some very proactive steps. One thing a day that you can begin to put in place if you're in that place of shattering loss, wondering how in the world am I going to move forward? Like, what do I do now? So that has been, that has really resonated. And um, I have, I have a book that just came out called Life Can Be Good Again, Putting Your World Back Together After It All Falls Apart. And this is really my heart on paper. It's for anyone. It's not just for the widow. It's not even just for somebody who has lost a person. It is for any kind of shattering loss or deep disappointment where you are just grappling with a life that you didn't expect and you didn't want. And you are dealing with those hard emotions and those hard questions. And we don't even, you know, the title is a promise that life can be good again, but we do go to that place of deep pain and we don't skip through it. How do we deal with raw emotion? Mm -hmm. How do we deal with those hard questions? So we walk through that and it's really me, just like I described before, kind of taking your hand saying, there is a way through, let's walk through this together. You know, the three of the best words that we can hear when we're in a place of pain are you are not alone. Mm -hmm. And God tells us that all through scripture, you're not alone. 
And so it's not just me in this book saying you're not alone because that in itself would never bring us to a place of healing. Right. But it's, it's God saying you are not alone. Mm -hmm. And all through scripture, he gives us tools and he gives us um, very practical ways to walk through grief and anchor our hope and find that life can be good again. Mm. Well, I'm certainly looking forward to reading this book of yours. I, um, I'm really grateful to have been able to connect with you, and I'm just so thankful that you are and have been willing to to talk about these things and um, to just be a light and an encouragement to women and men all over. So thanks, Lisa, so much. Can I ask you a fun little question that I ask guests kind of at the end of sure. conversations? If you had, and this is an interesting question I want to ask you, but I know it's a little different. You're in a different place in life because you do, like you said, only have two, two at home still? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if you had four hours all to yourself, but I know life is still busy for you and someone had already cleaned your entire house um, what would you do to spend time? Oh man, doing that, four that, hours? that would be a dream, right? Somebody coming in and cleaning your entire oh, yes. house. Oh my goodness. But I dream of it every day. <laughs> <laughs> hands down, I would either go on a walk at the beach or, um, we only live like maybe 20 minutes from the beach. So go on a walk at the beach or go on a run. Mm. Hands down. That's what I would do. Uh, that's so nice that you are so close to the beach. Oh, yeah, we haven't always been, but we just moved over this way. So, mm. Well, thank you again so much for joining me today, Lisa. I so enjoyed this conversation. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Do you need more encouragement that life can be good again following loss or any other kind of grief that you've been experiencing? Make sure to visit Lisa's website for the resources she mentioned, including her brand new book, Life Can Be Good Again. In this life, we will experience pain, suffering, and loss. But in the midst of it all, God graciously offers us his presence and an incomparable peace. My prayer today is that you would know that beautiful peace and feel encouraged that you are not alone, friend. You are never alone in grief, in sorrow, in heartache, in confusion, in doubt, in your anxious thoughts, in your disappointments. You're never alone. And I'm just so glad that we got to spend this time together today. I'll see you back here really, really soon.